You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, welcome, everybody. We are dear friends with your pastor, Steve and Tammy. We love them very much. We're in an alliance together with some pastors and leaders. So we kind of look out for each other. And as Steve was going through this uh, situation with the bone marrow transplant, we said, we got your back. We'll come down, fill the pulpit for you. And we're with you all the way to the end. So what an honor it is to be with you and uh, to see what God... How many of you have never been to Hawaii? Raise your hand. Oh, God help you. God help you. Yeah. You have to go to Hawaii because it's like a preview of heaven, you know. So you want to know where you're going. And uh, But a couple of years ago, God actually spoke to our hearts and said, Pass the baton in Hawaii and go to Oregon. Think about that. That's like going from paradise to purgatory. It took me a while to say yes, but we've gone there. We uh, took over a Bible college. It's called New Hope Christian College. And now we planted a church a year and a half ago. And so now we have a place called New Hope Church and College where we train young men and women for the ministry. And uh, we are so thrilled to do that. So if you're going to take business, it's for the church. If you're going to do counseling, it's pretty much for the church. You know, I, I figure Apple doesn't need our help. Google doesn't need our help. Microsoft doesn't need our help. Uh, Nike doesn't need our help. But the bride of Christ needs all the help they can get with us as God's people. So we're going to train people. So if it's teaching, broadcast, video editing, cinematography, music, instrumentals, instrumentalists, vocals, we're all doing that for the bride of Christ because the bride of Christ in the last days must rise again. Can you say amen to that? Got to do it. Hey, by the way, I just wanted to say, uh, Brand, uh, Landon, who was uh, just up here, he's really old uh, today because he's turned 29 today. It's his birthday. So happy birthday to Landon. And it reminds us that every single one of us gets to be thankful that we're still alive. Isn't that right? Because the reason you ain't dead is because you ain't done yet. God has a purpose for you. I think one of my favorite theologians is a man named Dr. Seuss. <laughs> and uh, he writes a poem. And it's called Happy Birthday to Me. Want to hear it? It don't matter. I'm going to say it anyway. It goes like this. If you'd never been born, what would you be? You could have been a rock or a toad or a tree. Or worse than all of that, you could have been a wasn't. Now, a wasn't has no fun at all. No, he doesn't. A wasn't just isn't. He isn't present. But you, you're right here. Now, isn't that pleasant? Today, you are you. And it's truer than true that there's no one alive that is youer than you. Shout out loud. I'm glad of who I am. Thank God I'm not a rock, a clam, or a ham, or a dusty old jar of gooseberry jam. I am what I am, and it's a great thing to be. If I should say so myself, happy birthday to me. <laughs> Every single one of us is extremely important to the plan of God. And I wanted to show you a little video of how we're investing in young men and women here at New Hope Church and College so that they'll become the best they can be for the kingdom of God. We're in the last days. It's time we rise up and give everything we got to the King and Creator. 
let's take a look at this short video that tells you kind of a little behind the scenes of what we're doing right now up in Oregon. Let's take a look. The Word of God so that it is communicated creatively and clearly in a way that people understand. We really work hard on different avenues of communicating, whether it's through literature, writing, a video, film, dance, music, art, everything we can we want to redeem for the gospel. Uh, that's what God's called us to do. We want to do it the best we can. Here at New Hope, we really work hard at developing not only the message or what's communicated, the skills, the talents, what people see, but the messenger, the person behind that, the heart behind that, the spirit behind that, the depth, the integrity behind it. So we want the message to be done well with excellence, communicated well, but the messenger to have a depth and a sincerity and an integrity. So that's why mentoring, discipleship, example, absolutely critical here at New Hope. But one of the things I notice about discipleship and mentoring, it doesn't happen online. You don't do it at a distance. Mentoring and life change happens life on life. It happens when you can sit with someone and see their example, hear their instruction, but watch their hands and their hearts. That's what affects students the most. It's what they see, not just what they hear. In fact, recently they did a survey on colleges that teach and they found that of the teaching when a student graduates, less than 5% is actually hands-on application. The rest is classroom. Whereas here at New Hope, it's probably 50-50 in that the students, when they graduate from this college, they'll have between 1,400 and 1,600 hours of practicum. Here at New Hope, we link up the church and the college so that it's actually called New Hope Church and College because the primary goal of New Hope is to train up young men and women for leadership in the church, the Bride of Christ. And so we want to make sure that we have a simulator, we have a lab church, and which has always been my heart from day one. The church undergirds the college. They give the students a place to serve, to practice their gift, uh, to teach. But at the same time, it gives students scholarships and, and inspiration and encouragement. But the college also serves the church in that young people are there to be servants, to be ushers, greeters, to run technical equipment, to do music, to do worship. So it really is symbiotic. And here at New Hope, we want them to be a part of life. And when you are a part of life, you get discipled. When you're discipled, you're being mentored. And when you're mentored, you become a world changer. I often say that one of the greatest problems with tomorrow's church is not a lack of leaders. It's going to be an overabundance of underdeveloped leaders in places of leadership. And we want to make sure that our students, when they graduate, have a heart of integrity and they think more about others than themselves. They think about their decisions to make sure that they are serving an audience of one, that the Lord would say, well done. By the way, we've got a little kiosk outside if you want more information, we have some out there. Well, good morning, everybody. Aloha. I thought uh, instead of taking you to Hawaii, we'll bring a little bit of Hawaii here. Is that all right? 
Hey, not only is it Landon's birthday, but just a couple of weeks ago, I turned 70. Can you believe that? 70. Man. One person came up to me and said, well, at 70 years old, are you starting now like to eat better? I said, oh no, I need all the preservatives I can get at this point. <laughs> they said, well, have you learned anything since, you know, turning 70? I said, oh yeah. I learned that at 30, you're worrying about what everybody thinks of you. At 50, you don't care what everybody thinks about you. And at 70, I discovered that no one was ever thinking about me in the first place. <laughs> but you do get smarter. There's a story of a guy that uh, was hard of hearing, an elderly man, and uh, he uh, could hardly hear, and the family was really concerned. And so uh, he, with a small little surgery and some hearing aids, I mean, everything returned. And about three weeks later, he's having lunch with a friend, and, and his friend said, well, how's your hearing? And the older guy said, it's perfect now. I can hear a pin drop across the room. The guy goes, whoa, I bet your family's thrilled. He said, oh, no, I haven't told them yet. <laughs> he said, why? He says, I just sit around listening to everyone's conversations. Why, in the last two weeks, I've changed my will three times already. <laughs> so you get smarter, let me tell you. You get smarter. Well, you got some notes if you would take them out with me so you can jot down some notes as I'm talking about mountaintop faith today. Mountaintop faith. How many of us would like to be seen by heaven as people with mountaintop faith? Because that's what heaven's going to be looking for because Hebrews says it this way, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is incredibly important. It's a signal that heaven looks for. So today, let's talk about mountaintop faith. And you're going to hear something that might give you a little bit of insight about how to develop mountaintop faith. There's a story, first of all, about a pastor and his faith and uh, how when push came to shove, everything fell apart. And maybe it might be something that we can learn from. Story goes like this. There's a pastor praying, saying, Lord, I need to learn about praying in faith. So, Lord, and he just bought a new house. So, Lord, I need a lawnmower because I don't have a lawnmower and I don't have money to buy a new one, Lord. So I just need a lawnmower at an affordable price. Lord, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you for that. Well, just he gets in his car and just about two blocks down, there's a garage sale. So on a lark, he just turns in, and there, lo and behold, is a power lawnmower right there in the front at an affordable price. He buys it, and the garage salesman person gives him the lawnmower, puts it in his car, takes it home, and then he tries to start it, and he's pulling on the rope and pulling on the rope and pulling on the rope. His arm is so tired, and he says, gosh, what's going on? He left the power mower there, goes back to the garage sale guy and says, hey, I bought your lawnmower, but it doesn't start. Now, the guy must obviously wasn't a Christian because he said, well, when, my, when it didn't start for me, I just cuss at it. And it starts. He goes, what? Yeah, you just cuss at it. <laughs> the guy goes, excuse me, I'm a minister, and it's been so long since I've cussed, I've forgotten how to cuss. And the guy goes, you just go back and keep pulling on that rope. And in about five minutes, it'll all come back to you. 
Sometimes when push comes to shove, our faith goes out the window too. And we revert back to our default. Well, today we're going to find out about how three of the top disciples, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, they're going to find out a little bit about faith and how sometimes it doesn't quite work the way we want it to. And we're going to answer why. The story is told here about Jesus is going to be on a mountaintop and something's going to happen. He's going to be transfigured. It's a big word, isn't it? transfigured he's going to just become like light and his disciples are going to see it and it's going to amaze them that they don't want to go anywhere they just want to stay stay in this environment stay in this culture stay in this state stay in this worship concert worship setting this whoo this is great let's just live here let's just build a house here jesus is going to give them a little bit of instruction and i think it'll really help us to understand what it means to have mountaintop faith but first, let me say this. The worship here, by the way, is fantastic. Can you say thank you to the musicians that you have? Fabulous. Your technical prowess is excellent with the screens and the video and the camera movement. Everything here is fantastic. However, let me tell you the most important part of the service. Sorry, it's not the music. Most important part of this service, sorry, not the lights. Most important part of the service, sorry, it's not even the message that's preached here. One of the most important part of the service is when you leave those doors. Because that will determine whether or not what you're learning here is going to be taken out to where you live. See, the devil would love for you to have all kinds of spiritual calisthenics in here. Just go crazy, but leave it here when you go out those doors. The most important part of every service so when you go out those doors. Jesus is going to talk about that. Let's read the story here. It'll come up on the screen, but let me read it out loud for you. In fact, is it going to come up on the screen? If it does, let's read it together. That'd be cool. Here it goes. Good. Read it with me nice and loudly. Go. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except... Oh, I want you to see what's going on. They're up on the mountaintop. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, whew. He becomes the person that he really is. For God, First John says, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. All of a sudden, his visage became the true figure of who he really was, God. And his visage isn't in human flesh. It's actually pure light. And the writer, the only way he could describe it was like 
brighter than any launcher could ever launder, even more than Clorox and Borox and bleach. This, that's the only way they could explain it. But all of a sudden, you see Jesus as he really is. Now, listen carefully. Some people say, hey, Wayne, you know, um, scientists say that uh, the earth is millions and millions of years old. But the Bible says God created the world in six days. On the seventh, he rested. How could he do it in six days when scientists say carbon dating is like millions of years old? I should always remember that what God's word says is really true. You won't understand it, but start there. That's your starting point, not science. It's the word. Because the Bible says in the end, God will be proved true and all men a liar. He said, well, how do you explain that then? So one of our problems as humankind is, with, is that we try to take out a measuring tape and we try to measure God with a human measuring standards and it never works. We try to time God with our timepieces. It never works for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above yours. But he gives us a glimpse of something really cool. All of a sudden, he's light. This is who I really am. The disciples think, whoa, this is crazy. Yes, this is who God is. Now, if God were light, which he is, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. That's a speed of light. If God moved at the speed of light, creating the world, what we would consider two million years, he did it in about five minutes. Can he create what we measure as two million years in five minutes? Absolutely, if you're traveling at the speed of light. Did you know that Albert Einstein said, and so, so do astrophysicists and others, say that if any mass can move at the speed of light, it becomes infinite. Time stops. Check it out. So if God is moving in light, watch this. I'm going to blink. Time it took me to blink, at the speed of light, I went around the world seven times that fast. Now, if God is moving at the speed of light, do you understand in his six days, he can create about two billion years worth. In fact, if there's a star that's let's say 100 light years away. It means that by the time you see that planet, it took light traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, 100 years to reach my eye. So when I look through a telescope, when I see the star, that light from that star is not happening right now. It's happening 100 years ago. You see, when you're moving at that speed, you can see the past, you can see the future. It becomes infinite. And God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Is that cool or what? So don't try to measure God with a Stanley measuring tape. You trust the word of God. To mankind, it's millions of years old. Absolutely. To God, six days but he's not going to be measured by our standards of measure. So he is light, and it is such an epiphany 
to the disciples. They say, we don't want to move. We don't want to leave. We want to stay here. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's just stay here. Because he's talking to Moses and Elijah. What? Yeah. When you're light, there is no past or present. It's like, or, or future. It's like right now. It's, there's it's divinity. So he can talk to Moses. He can talk to Elijah. Now, they say, let's just stay here because this is so cool. All of a sudden, boom, a voice comes out of nowhere. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So they say, okay. All of a sudden, everything goes back to normal. And so listen to him. Yep. So Jesus speaks. Let's go down the hill. So they go down the hill. Now at the bottom of the hill, there's a problem, a conundrum. There's a demon-possessed boy that the disciples are trying to cast the demon out of. Do you remember that? They couldn't do it. So they all jump in. They try to do it. Whatever they're trying to do, it doesn't work. And Jesus says something like, how long must I be with you? See, here's the problem. The disciples could not translate the lessons on the mountaintop to the problems in the valley below. I want you to listen carefully. It's not hard to be nice at church. This is like a mountaintop experience. When we're worshiping, I mean, this is just beautiful, fantastic. And it's not hard to be nice at church. You ever notice that? You come in, people hug you. Oh, you're so nice. We, so, we welcome you. You're so beautiful. Here's free coffee. Here's free donuts. We give free everything, free water, free uh, bathroom breaks. We just give everything free. It's just wonderful. And you don't hear any crass uh, words. You don't hear cussing. You don't hear questionable humor, unless I'm speaking. And, uh, but basically, it's not hard to be nice in church. But I need, I need to break something to you. It won't be long. Soon, you've got to go home. You're going to go home to the same problems. You're going to go home to the same neighbor. You're going to go home to the same kids. Ouch. You're going to go home to the same neighbor's dog. Then you're going to go to the same job, the same coworker, the same boss, the same campus. For some of you, the same roommate. The question is, are you going to be able to take and translate the lessons from the mountaintop to the problems in the valley below? You see, a lot of times we, as soon as we leave those doors, you know, we get filled up in here, right? Oh, so good. As soon as you leave the doors, we leak. It's like our faith goes, and we're back here, right? And we come back and after church, we do that every week. And the devil would, wouldn't mind you doing that every week. Sometimes I stay at the, by the uh, door leading. And, you know, sometimes I'll see husbands, like, waiting for their wives. Their wives are talking with their friends. And it's like, <laughs> I can see them doing this, you know. And then finally, because <laughs> you can't, you know, yell or scream or cuss because people are watching. You know? She comes, yes. Get the kids in the car. Get them in the car. Get, get, get. Don't talk to each other. Shut up. Get in. We're going home. Home. I waited you five. Waited for you five minutes. 
Well, honey, the pastor just gave a sermon on kind, being kind. I'm being kind right now. I'm kind of miffed is what I am. And a little bit I'm going to be kind of violent if you don't quiet down. You know, and all of a sudden we just leak, right? We think, what happened? See, the most important part of the service is when we leave those doors. Because that's where the test is going to be. Now, I need to say something to you. Are you ready? Mountaintop faith is not found at the mountaintops. Mountaintop faith will be found in the valleys below. Because we have this enamored kind of imagination that, whew, mountaintop faith is found here. Or it might have been inaugurated here, but it's going to be discovered and developed in the valley below. Because, see, a lot of times we don't have mountaintop faith because it's only found in the valleys below. It's not on the mountaintop. Otherwise, we'll, we'll have a misnomer. And that's why Jesus said, let's go down the mountain. And they started going down. See, soon you're going to have to go home. And you're going to have to translate the mountaintop experiences to the valleys below. Oh, I tell you, as soon as we get out of here, it's so easy to default back because the crowd is sort of that way. I was uh, heading to Florida from Portland uh, catching a flight, and I was to speak at a conference in Florida. And so I was getting on the plane early in the morning in Portland to fly because I was on that night. And I get this uh, announcement, all of us waiting for the airplane, that the flight had been canceled. So, no, no, I got to speak tonight. I'm on the docket, you know, and so I've got to go. And, and so about 200 people are lined up at the customer service desk. They're mad as hornets. They're yelling at that woman. There's a woman back there trying her best to reroute everybody. And you're, I'm about, you know, 150 back, and, and you get caught up in the, 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 the revolution, don't you? People are going, that's stupid airline. That's, we paid money. Yeah, yeah, we, I may pay money too. Pretty soon it's like, yeah, we're cavemen walking. <laughs> and you start to devolve, you know, back to Neanderthal days by the time, mm, I'm mad. So I get up there and... I don't know if you've ever had the Lord do this to you, but I was like three people away from her, and I was just mad as a hornet And because uh, I had to call the conference people. Hey, can you switch me to tomorrow night? Sorry. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I'm so sorry. And so I'm just mad. And so I'm going up. About three people before I get to the lady, it's like the Lord just stops me. I don't know if you've ever had the Lord do that. Just, nope, you're not going to be nasty to her but I want to. No, you're not going to. In fact, he said, she's had a very difficult week. It's like a word of knowledge. She's had a very difficult week. She's struggling, and she needs kindness. So I move up, and then when I get up there, she looks up from her desk, and her eyes got big, like, are you going to nail me like everybody else? And I said, you know, You've had a hard week, haven't you? Her eyes got really big. And I said, you know, you have done so well with all of these customers. I've been watching you from a distance. And you've got to be one of the best. You are amazing how you brought peace to chaos. She starts crying. She said, yes. At the beginning of the week, I found out that I have breast cancer. And I didn't want to even come to work today. But here... 
God sends you, Pastor Wayne, to pray for me. And I thought, how did she know who I was? And you see, what would it have been if I would have gotten down on her too? It's so easy to just go with the crowd and your faith leaks. And at the moment you need mountaintop faith to bring wholeness and healing to somebody, we drop the ball. You see, mountaintop faith is not going to be found on the mountaintops. It's actually activated in the valleys below. And when heaven sees mountaintop faith in the valley below, miracles start to happen. Healing starts to happen. Wholeness starts to happen. People are redeemed. People are saved. People get their lives changed. It's not on the mountaintop. It's easy to have faith on the mountaintop, but it's going to be seen in the valley below. That's why the Scripture says in Matthew 19, if anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you remember that one? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. There's going to be times you just have to zip it in the valley below because we, we leak and we want to get, our, you know, we go back to the default of our flesh. And the Lord says, no. Deny yourself. That's going to have to be an ongoing thing if we're going to develop mountaintop faith. And I don't know about you, but I think in these last days, the church needs to develop mountaintop faith. It's more critical than ever before. The story of a guy who God had spoke to him about, I mean, he was getting really, really, really overweight because he ate a dozen donuts every morning. He just loved donuts. He's just an addict. And, and so the Lord spoke to him, and there's this donut shop he would always stop at and so he told his friends, by faith, I'm not eating any more donuts, by faith, you know. And, and so, well, this went on for two weeks until one morning he comes in with a dozen donuts and he's eating one with both hands, you know, just he's eating this, these donuts. And uh, his friend says, hey, I thought you said you weren't buying donuts anymore. He said, yeah, I know, I know. But I went by this donut shop and there was a dozen donuts calling my name. And so I prayed, Lord God, if you want me to have those donuts, open up a parking spot right in front of the bakery. And on the eighth time around the block, there it was. <laughs> it's so easy to lapse back. But the Lord says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, to take up your cross simply means that even though you're right, you still die. Somebody has to die in order to defeat the enemy. Problem is, nobody wants to die anymore. You see, it's always easier to preach the cross than it is to carry it. It's easier to sing about the cross than carry it. It's easier to pray about the cross than carry it, but very few carry it. You see, the most important part of this service is when you leave those doors, because that's when we get to carry the cross, not just talk about it. But that's where mountaintop faith is going to be discovered. It was some years ago when New Hope began planting a church in Honolulu, and it grew very quickly. It grew 1,000 a year for 10 years. We were at 11,500. It was huge. And in the first three years, 
it grew so quickly that I started getting hate mail from pastors. And they were mad at me. I'm ruining the churches. I'm stealing sheep. I'm, you know, you just name it. And I thought, oh, man, these guys are cracked. I don't know what's going on. They must be on drugs, these pastors. And in fact, they were calling me a cult. They say, you're a cult. And, and so one day I'm in Los Angeles speaking when I get a call and one of the pastors, kind of the ringleader guy, said, hey, we want to meet with you for lunch on Saturday because uh, we have something to tell you. We have to air it out. I thought, oh, gosh. They don't want to have lunch with me on Saturday. They want to have me for lunch on Saturday. <laughs> so right before I fly out Friday night, I'm in a hotel and I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to go to this meeting. It's just going to be a you know, tribunal. I don't want to do this. And the Lord said, no, you're going to go. I said, okay, if I go, I'm going to get some ammunition on these guys. So I put a piece of paper down, got on my knees, and started writing stuff down about this because I knew who was coming. So I said, well, this guy's no good. This guy yells at his wife. This guy's kids go bongers. This guy, you know, he's, he's and I wrote all of these things down. And I said, okay, Lord, thank you so much for this information. I'm going to go to bed now. <laughs> I really, I put this list on my chest, and I said, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And it's like the Lord said, you're not done yet. So I thought, oh, he's going to give me more info. So I got on my knees and said, go, Lord, thy servant is listening. <laughs> and I just started to write when the Lord said, you're not going to use any of those. I said, what? No. In fact, and here's, this is all he said, tomorrow you will die. I thought, no, my plane's going down. <laughs> no. I actually started looking for alternate routes to come back to Hawaii. They said, no, tomorrow you're going to die. And I said, why? What are you talking about? He said, when they bring accusation or allegations against you, you will just suffer. You will carry the cross. You won't, like Jesus before Pontius Pilate, you'll say nothing. I thought, no, I can't do that. Yes, you will. Why? This is what he said. The reason there are so many divisions and factions in the church in Hawaii is because the enemy is the dissenter of the brethren, the divider of the brethren. And the only way you can defeat him is somebody has to be willing to die. And the problem, none of you are willing to die. One man said, you know the reason why the enemy wants us to throw stones at each other is so that we'll have none left for Goliath. And the enemy would want us to throw stones at each other so that when Goliath comes, you have nothing left. And so I fought with God that day. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with God, but... About 40 minutes later, I got up and I said, okay, I surrender. I will die. And I looked, my shirt was just full of sweat. It was like I had played two games of racquetball. I thought, wow. And my flesh was just wrestling with this. So the next day I did. I went in there and just said nothing. I apologized, said, I understand. Please, let's work together. Absolutely, I'm so sorry. Let's, let's be brothers. What, what can I do to rectify it? And, you know, till this day, some of those guys that were once enemies are now some of my best friends. And I thought, ah. 
But that's where mountaintop faith is developed. Isn't that right? It's not on the mountaintop. It's in the valleys below. And if we desire to come after Christ, then we must be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Why, Joseph had to understand. He knew that. When he was sold into Egypt, Mrs. Potiphar thought he was a hunk and tried to get him to go with her into, to her bedroom, and he refused and said no, knowing that it would cause him to be thrown in prison. Yet he did. He was willing to deny himself and take up his cross. And the cool thing was, God saw that as mountaintop faith, and he became the second most important, most influential person of that era. Take a look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up in the Babylonian captivity when Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to bow down to this idol. They said, we can't. Well, who's going to save you? They said, well, our God whom we serve will save us. And then they said this, and even if he does not, we will still serve him. They had no guarantee. They really felt they were going to die. In the valley, we have to have a total commitment. Listen, if we're going to reach this generation for Christ, then this generation must make a dedication and a commitment no other generation has made. And God is offering us to be a people of mountaintop faith because he's got miracles out there waiting and in store. And he's going to release and activate them through us. But he's watching for mountaintop faith. And he's going to see if we have mountaintop faith. But it's not found here. It's found in the valleys below. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're going to go. And when they came out the other side, they found that there was four in the furnace, not three. God himself came down. For lo, I'll be with you even until the end of the earth, he said. And when they came out, not a hair on their head was singed. And what happened then, they influenced their era. You saw that with Daniel. When the king said, you're not going to pray to anybody else but me. Daniel said, oh, no, I'm going to keep praying to my God. He opens his windows and keeps praying. I thought, Daniel, at least close the window, you know. I said, no, 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 no. And even though he knew that he would be thrown into the lion's den, there was no guarantee that the lion's mouths would be shut. He was going to his death. He went down to the lion's den. God shut the mouths of the lions when they brought him back up. The king made an edict that said, if anyone despises Daniel's God, we're going to throw you into the lion's den. Tables were turned. Wow. Why? Mountaintop faith was seen by heaven. That's the prelude to the miraculous. Can I, can I encourage you that we get to be a people of mountaintop faith? Can you say amen to that? That's why the scripture says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll know what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're not of this world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. So if we're going to make a difference in the world in this next decade, it'll mean that this generation will have to make a commitment and a dedication that no other generation has ever made. It's going to be inaugurated at the mountaintop 
But mountaintop faith is built in the valleys below. Can you remember that? Remember that. Let me finish with this story. It was a Bible college in New England states when a young man and his new wife, uh, who he came from a very well-heeled family, very large estate, very wealthy, but in one of the services, he heard a call to the mountains of Tibet to be a missionary. So right after Bible college, he and his new wife traveled to the mountains of Tibet to reach the people with the gospel. There, after a couple, three years, they had two children. He learned the language of the Tibetans, lived in their poverty, and taught the gospel. However, a plague came through one year, and not one, but both his children passed away. He buried his kids. Got over the mourning and kept on going with the gospel. But a few years down the road, his wife became deathly ill. And he finally had to say to the elders in this, this Tibetan community, he said, I, I, I've got to leave. I've got to take my wife to the mission hospital, which was a three-day journey down the river. And this is a true story. So he took his wife, got into a canoe, and started heading down the river. After one day, however, his wife said, his name was John. She said, John, I cannot go any further. I can't. So he pulled the canoe over to the side and pulled her off to the bank. And there in his arms, she said, John, I have to tell you something. So he bent down and she whispered into his ear and then died. He buried his wife, already having buried his two other children, he got into the canoe and paddled out to the middle of the river and then all of a sudden turned upstream and started going back up. He could have gone back down and lived in a beautiful estate in the comfortableness of his estate for the rest of his life, but he started paddling back upstream. Reason? Because when his wife whispered into his ears, she said this, John, go back and fulfill the calling that God has given to us. Don't stop. Mountaintop faith is built in the valley below. And it was after that that many, many, many came to Christ through the gospel. It's almost like heaven was waiting for mountaintop faith to develop. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. Amen. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you so much for this wonderful church, New Life. We pray for our pastor, Steve. We ask that you would put your hand of healing on him. Lord, we ask that you would help us to fulfill the calling that you've given to us as a church. And Lord, now I pray that soon we will leave these doors and you will see, you will find mountaintop faith people in the valley below. May that be us. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you.